Well, that's the beginning of uh, what will be a three-part sermon series uh, entitled Becoming a Contagious Christian. Uh, and this has been heavy on my heart, uh, as I believe it's the single most important reason that God has saved you, you see? He saved you so that you could come, go out into the world and speak to the lost in the world about what Christ has meant to you. In other words, you take the contagion of Christ that has infected your body and becomes the very central point of who you are, and you bring that to the world and you pass it along. And so what I've recognized myself, uh, having spent my entire life in church uh, from a very early age, was, was that really a lot of people in church really like church people. We like each other. We like to go to church. We find people that speak like us, that dress like us, uh, that have the same cultural aspect that we do. Church becomes a safe place. Uh, and so what happens is that we almost become a fortress in the church where it's all about us, all about being together, all about worshiping God, but never really going out of the walls going out to the parking lots, going out to the world, and speaking to people about who Jesus is. And so what I hope to do here today uh, is to be able to start this program where you begin to think about this, where you begin to think about how God wants you to react to people who are lost. Uh, and, and this is something that you have to become functionally concerned about how to do it in your life. Uh, and so even though we're going to go out in the world and we're going to see people that are not like us, that don't have the same moral code as we do, and in fact, they shouldn't because they're not Christians, all right? So we shouldn't be shocked. But instead, God wants us to go out and infect these people. So the, the very significant truth of the gospel is this. Jesus has called us to leave here and become a messenger of the gospel uh, to the world. And here's the thing, that for many of us, we have spent our lifetime, what I call huddling up. How appropriate today as the Super Bowl, all right? And most of us have spent our life huddling up. You see, church can become a huddling up experience. We go, we practice, we hear the plays, we know what it's about, but we never go to the line of scrimmage. We never actually run the place for Jesus. We keep huddling up and huddling up. And so what I'm trying to inspire you as a church and you as individuals today is to break the huddle, go to the line of scrimmage, go out and run the play, and infect the world. And, and so one of the key uh, passages that I want to focus on today uh, is Luke 15, verses 1 to 10. Now, there, Jesus speaks in this set passage, in this series of verses, Jesus speaks about three cases in which you get an idea of how he views the lost. And this is why we need to focus on Scripture, because we get the idea of how Jesus views the lost. And it's very different how we might view the lost. And so if you look at, at Luke 15, uh, verses 1 to 10, I'm not going to focus on the prodigal, because we've already talked about the prodigal and how God's heart uh, reached out to the prodigal son. He didn't care from where he had come. He didn't care about what he did, but God forgave him. And that's the heart of God for the lost. But now, now look at Luke 15, and you can look on the screens as we read these verses. Now, 
the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And boy, you got to love Jesus, don't you? He constantly drew that lower social strata to him. All right. Uh, it wasn't the scribes and the Pharisees that were drawn to Jesus. It was the tax collectors and the sinners. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told the parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Amen to God's heart. Amen to when you see how much God looks for the lost. Amen to what you understand is the central a message of what God has for you today and what he wants you to do for the rest of your life. You are meant to be the hands and feet of Jesus. This is the message that God wants you to give when you walk out that door to the parking lot. He expects you to come into contact with the lost. And he expects you when you, when you do to treat the lost in exactly the same way as you see the heart of God. And so here's the thing. When you begin, when you begin to look at other people with the same look that Jesus had and expressed here. It has a revolutionary effect on the way you treat people because now you'll be looking for those people that are lost. You'll be looking for those people who are not Christians, who don't sh uh, share the same moral code and religious code that you do. You'll be looking for them because you know that's exactly what Jesus would do. And so now you're going to lock eyes on a human being who is more valuable to God who wants you to speak to them and raise them up and lift them up. And so really, this becomes important for you to understand. God wants us to become contagious Christians, meaning first, you catch, you catch the Spirit of God. You catch what Jesus did to you. And then when you can get it, infectiously offer it to a lost world to consider it. That's the primary plan of your life. That is why God created you. And so here's the deal. The Christian life is often a life where we drive really over our headlights, where we're walking in places where we didn't think we could go, where we're speaking to people that we didn't think we could speak to. Um, and what are the results of this? The results of this, that when we walk out in faith, even when we think we're not called to do it or don't have the power or intellect or background to do it, God lifts you up. And he presents you with that opportunity. And so here's what you learn. That when lethargic believers break out of spiritual isolation and meet some spiritual seekers, something incredible takes place. Let me understand that for you. Let me say it again. That when lethargic believers break out of their cocoon and go out and speak to people who are seeking, something dramatic takes place. 
uh, we become revitalized. That's what God wants from us. We become revitalized. And so let's understand something, that there are certain foundational precepts that are critical as we begin this. God expects us to be prepared to do it. And one of the first things that God expects from us is what I will call personal purity. Uh, and that means that your approach to life is that you hope to maintain a high standard of morality and ethics as you recognize that you are God's representative. What kind of rep representative would you be if you led a reckless life, a life that was not the way God wanted you to be? So you recognize right up front that if you want to step up in this call, they have a responsibility for personal purity. God, protect me. God, speak to me. God, lift me up. God, keep me away from immorality. God, cover me with your blood so I can be the kind of man or woman who can go out and see other people because they will watch you. You understand? They're most more interested really in looking at you and seeing the life that you live as distinguished from hearing the words that come out of your mouth. As I said, my dad used to say this all the time. He used to say, God expects every one of us to preach the gospel and sometimes even to use words. Sometimes even to use words. That's exactly what it's like. And so we understand this. And so when we do this, when we live our lives like this, we then effectively lift the church up. This is the reason you come to church. We are your teammates. That's what church is about. Church is about being surrounded by people who have the same mentality about what God has helped them to do and is leading them to do. And here, your teammates pray for you and they lift you up and they affirm you. This is what church was meant to be. That's the nature of church, all right? That's, the That's why we call this church the gathering, the gathering. It is the gathering of the people of God, all right? It's not a building. It's not bricks. It's not mortar. It is the gathering of the people of God. And that's what it's all about. And the second thing that God leads us to, to have in terms of a foundational uh, premise is spiritual confidence. You want to go out and impact the world. You want to go out and speak to people about what it means to be a Christian. You need to have spiritual confidence. What does that mean? It means you need to be prepared to go out and talk to people about your faith. You need to understand your faith, and you need to be able to speak in sound bites about your faith. What do I mean by that? I mean this. So many of us have, have all of the Bible verses swimming around in our brain. And then somebody comes to you and says, oh, well, can you tell me a little bit about why I should be a, be a Christian? And all of a sudden, uh, it's, like you, it's like a computer that backs up. And you're unable to effectively articulate why in, you know, in a short sentence or two, somebody needs to come to Christ. Well, this is the time to prepare it. Somebody said to me the other day, uh, I had somebody questioned me, what is it with you Christians? Why is it that you think that Jesus Christ is the only way? And he said, you know, I really didn't have a, an effective answer for him. I said, well, here's your answer. Here's your answer. I believe, I believe that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ was the only man whoever defeated death. There were 500 eyewitnesses that saw him 
get out of a grave after he was crucified in front of all Jerusalem. They saw him get out of the grave and walk around for 40 days and then ascend to heaven. And so when the only man that ever defeated death says that there is only one way to God, I am the son of God, there is only one way to God through me, well, then you know what? I'm going to take him at his word. And that's the answer. That's how you need to speak to the lost. With that kind of clarity and that kind of succinctness that you, that you can do this. And so this is what God wants us to be. He wants us to be strengthened and be prepared to be able to do this about our faith. Uh, there's a couple of verses that I want to point your attention to. Matthew 6, verses 19 to 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so there it is. You understand this. This is the nature of what God wants from you. He wants you to tell people to send it ahead. Send it ahead. Send everything that you're doing for God to send it ahead. All right? You're not going to take it with you. There's no Brinks cars in a funeral procession. You understand that? And that everything that you're going to take with you when you go to meet Jesus face to face is what you did in this world for him. Don't ever forget it. When he looks at you, when he runs the videotape of your life, and he will, he'll run that videotape. And when he looks at you and he says, oh, John, oh, John, I had such great plans for you. I had great plans for you. And we don't live up to what he expects from us. Your heart's going to be broken. You don't want to hear those words. You don't want God to say that. Instead, you want him to say, well, done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've lived up to what my expectations were for you. I welcome you into my heavenly home. This is the nature of Jesus Christ. This is his love, and this is how he wants us to serve his kingdom and his people. And so look, it's not cheap to be a contagious Christian. There's a cost involved. First of all, your time now is going to be devoted for that cause. Your energy is going to be devoted to that cause. It's going to mean that you're going to have to read the Bible and you're going to have to study the Bible and you're going to have to go to Bible studies and you're going to have to get fully involved and immersed in the things of God. And you possibly run the risk of embarrassment. Oh, that's a big one, isn't it? Oh, I'm afraid, John, if I go and tell my pals at the, at the golf course about Jesus, they'll start laughing and mocking. Well, you know what? Good. 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 Because you know what? You need new friends. All right? You need new friends. And maybe God is speaking to your heart about that, that you're being with people who don't share your uh, vision about who Jesus is. And so that I'm not concerned about being embarrassed. Listen, I understand embarrassment. When I was 10 years old, we would go out to eat with my family maybe three times a year, and it would be to a diner, to a diner. And I see my wife is already smiling because she knows the story. She's heard it before. For our birthdays, all right, we didn't have any money. My father and mother didn't have any money, so we went to a diner three times a year, and it was for one of our birthdays. And there, right in the middle of a diner, right in godless New Jersey, Nobody going to church. No evangelical Christians. They wouldn't know the nature of the definition of that. Right there in the middle of the diner as the food is served, 
my father begins to pray. And it's like a prayer right out of the middle of the Old Testament. Oh, Lord, the Hittites surround us in the mountains. The Hittites surround us in the mountains. Oh, gosh, Dad, no, not here. Not here. And I put my head down. You know what? Shame on me. Shame on me. And shame on you if you're not praying when you go out to eat in a, in a diner or a restaurant. That's one of the easiest ways to impact the life of the lost when they see exactly who you are. So shame on me. All right. Uh, and believe me, I felt that embarrassment years later. And so here's the bottom line about the fact that God has empowered you. You are empowered to do this. I know you may not realize it, but God has sealed you with the Holy Spirit. The moment that you accepted Jesus Christ, God reached across eternity and he sealed you with his own spirit. You have it inside. And what does that mean? It means that you are empowered. You are empowered to act as the agent of God. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world earth. He told his disciples this even as they waited for the downpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost because that's the nature. But you have it inside of you. Look at 1 Corinthians 5. 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. What does that mean? It means the world is lost in sin, but we have been given the message of reconciliation. Reconciliation, meaning what? That you tell somebody, yes, you are dying in your sins. But God wants to save you, and when you will be saved, you will be fully reconciled to God. You will become a son or daughter of God. You will be reconciled. What a great message this is. Who wouldn't want to hear this message of reconciliation? It's important. Then look at Matthew 28, the Great Commission, verses 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's the very last words of Jesus as he ascended into heaven. You don't think it's important? You don't think it's critical? It's everything. It's what we stand for. It's why we come to church. It's why we worship. It's why we sing the songs. It's to practice up, to break the huddle and go to the line of scrimmage. And that's what this is about. Look, Jesus has made it very clear. He has said to us, he wants us to be the salt. He wants us to be the salt. And what's so exciting about salt? What is so exciting? Well, well salt stimulates thirst, thirst uh, adds to the excitement of food, and holds back decay. How about that? And so Jesus considered that when he said, you are to be the salt. That's the very nature of what you're supposed to be, to enliven the lives of people, to keep them from decaying and death, all right, and to add excitement to their life in the most powerful way. But in order to be salt, you see, in order to be salt, it has to be put on the food. It not only needs uh, power, but it needs proximity. Salt doesn't do anybody any good if it sits in a bottle, all right? It has to be taken from the bottle and shaken and put out. And that's the nature of what this message is about. Uh, and so we must have a strong enough concentration of Christ to be effective as salt in our lives. Uh, look also, if you would, 
at Matthew 5, verse 13. For you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You don't want that. You want to be the kind of potent salt that Jesus has designed you to be. That's what it's about, about study and praying and worshiping and being convicted in every possible way to walk and step out to be his child in, in such a powerful way. And then Jesus also said that he wants us to be the light of the world. The light of the world. That's our job, all right? The light of the world so that the, the lost people of the world will see you and through you it will be the mirror to Jesus Christ, all right? And so uh, look at Matthew 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. How about that? A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Some of us have spent our entire Christian lives putting bushels over a light. We have. We have. Oh, I don't want to be one of those zealots, John. I don't want to be a flake. I want my friends to respect me. I won't be able to go to the country club anymore if people will not sit with me. Well, you know what? You're so wrong. Because when they see the light of Jesus coming out of you, you will be amazed how you will become a magnet. People will be drawn to you. They won't, could not have more of you in their lives. Why? It's not because of your winsome personality. It's because Jesus Christ is emanating from every pore of your body. Can I get an amen on that? All right. And so here's the point. Jesus wants to illuminate the world spiritually by explaining the message of forgiveness. Forgiveness. Is there a more important word? Is there a more important word to the lost and forgiveness? How many of us have forgotten that word? How many of us were parts of churches that forgot the word forgiveness? How many of us? How many of us have lived our lives without really embracing the word forgiveness? So you want to be a contagious Christian? Well, that's one of the prime words. To remember that he forgave you. You were lost. You were headed to death. And yet he reached out to you and embraced you. And he forgave you. And so it becomes so critical to us as we understand this and spread this to, to a, another world so, so that people understand it. So here's the thing that we, you need to focus on. We need to develop certain Christian characteristics in our life that, that will be enticing to the unchurch. And those characteristics are authenticity, compassion, and sacrifice. Because here's the thing, inauthenticity has become a critical issue uh, to the unchurched. They think we're hypocrites. They think we're fakes. They think we don't stand for what we truly say. And so unless when they observe us, we become an attractive model for what Christ wants us to be, we will not be bringing people to faith. And so that becomes an essence. God wants you to be authentic in, in, in every possible way because by being authentic, you will draw people to Jesus Christ. Now, what are the elements of authenticity? What are the elements? Well, first thing is this. Uh, people do not, do not uh, expect perfection from Christians. 
They want to see humility. They want to see repentance. And they want to see authenticity. And now here's the thing that you have to be concerned with. I don't want you to leave here today saying, you know what? Okay, uh, I think I got what John's saying. I understand God's will in my life. But here's the thing. I, I can't be the kind of person I am right now. I'm too much uh, of an extrovert. I'm the life of the party. When I walk in, you know, I'm like electricity coming off me. All right? And I think I got to tone the whole thing down. All right? I got to become boring. I got to get more dull because Jesus, you know, God knows there's no really exciting Christians, right? You become a Christian, you give up your sense of humor, right? You give up your sense of humor. Let me tell you something. That's the, that's the devil's lie. Nobody had a greater sense of humor than Jesus. He spent three years walking around with 11 guys that never got it. How do you like that? Three years with 11 guys that never got it, but eventually they did get it. And all 11 gave their lives for him. All right. So that's the kind of thing. If you are created in a unique way, God has given you a, a, a special personality. You are an attractive person. Don't change that. God wants to use your personality. He uses you. Listen, did you think when I spent 40 years in court arguing cases all over the United States that I ever thought all of the things, the rhetorical skills that I had would ever be used by God? Are you kidding me? I never thought that. And there's a man here who spent a lot of those years with me. He could testify for sure about that because I know he didn't expect it either. But here's the thing. God takes you as you are, and he uses you for his purpose. You understand that? He uses you for his purpose. And so you become a compelling model. You become a compelling model because people see that you're authentic. People see that you're real. People see that you're loving. People see that you're sacrificial. And so you look to the world to be the kind of person that attracts them. Look at Jesus. That's your role model. You want to see somebody who exhibited his unique character? Look at what he did at the grave of Lazarus. He cried. He wept. Now, he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. But here's why he wept. He looked at all those people that surrounded him, and he knew that every single one of them would die. They would die. It wasn't meant to be this way. They were meant to live forever. But because of sin, that's what happened. And the, the heart of Christ was broken, and he wept. That's the kind of people God wants you to be. That's the kind of Christian God wants you to be. That's the kind of emotional heart that God wants you to see. And so as we focus on this, there's another critical critical aspect of authenticity. It's called confession. Imagine that. Confession. This is how dedicated Christians deal with foul-ups in their lives. Here's the deal. You're not meant to be perfect. There was only one perfect person in the history of the world. And so even though we're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus, we're not perfect. And since we're not perfect, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to foul up. And so the world wants to see how you act when you foul up. And the question is confession, repentance. Lord, forgive me. Lord, wash my heart. Help me, Lord, not to do this. And look, look, every day of your life you're going to foul up. All right? That doesn't mean you can't be a contagious Christian. But in the foul-ups of your life, repent and have confession. 
so that God can remake you. He can, he can wash you and make you so powerful that you will be amazed at what you can do. And when he does this, you will become the most powerful witness you could ever be. It's not you. It's not you. It's him. He's taken you. He's molded your life. He's put the Holy Spirit inside you. He's given you the very faith that you have. And now as you walk out, as you walk out in faith, because you want to serve him, he will lift you up and transform you and make you a veritable lighthouse for Jesus Christ. And the world will never be the same. Look, people do not expect perfection in Christians. All they want to see are humble, authentic, real people who have a heart for the lost, just as Jesus had a heart for the lost. So I want you to reflect on that message that Jesus gave in Luke when he talked about the fact that he would leave the 99 sheep and go out for the one because the heart of God is so concerned with the one that he would do that. Or the woman, representing God again, would, would rip her house apart looking for that one lost coin. Why? Because that one lost kind repre coin represented the heart of God. And so here's the message for you. Take this message into your heart. Let it grow and resonate in your heart. Make a commitment today that you're going to leave this place and you're never going to be the same, that your life is going to change, that you're going to commit yourself to being a contagious Christian, that you're going to study the word, that you're going to get deep in the word. You're going to become part and parcel of this church and your teammates here who will pray for you. And then you will walk out those doors and you will impact the world in a way that the world can never expect. Here's the deal, folks. We live in a sea of evil. You understand? We live in a sea of evil, but God has given us the life preservers. And so go out and throw the life preservers. Show people that you care. Show people that you love. And we're going to spend the next two weeks drilling down on this message so that you're prepared to do it, committed to do it in every way as we leave here inspired that God has called us. Can you imagine this? God has called us and given us this gift to be his messengers. Oh, God, the God of the universe would do that, that he would say, I want you to be my partner. I want you to be my child. I want you. I'm not asking the angels to do it. It wasn't the role of the angels. I want you to do it. I want you to go and give the message to the lost. Let's stand as we close. Dear Lord, we thank you for this message, Lord. We thank you for inspiring us as to how you want us to live, Father. We thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for your heart for the lost. Lord, help us today to never be the same as we were. Help us today to say that we will walk out of here in a way committed to you to go and be your messenger, your hands, your feet to present the gospel to a world that desperately needs it. Help us, Lord, to present the message of reconciliation. Don't let us be fearful, Lord, but we know that as we step out in faith, in small steps, you will raise us up. You will give us a greater portion of the Holy Spirit. You will allow us to do your work, Father, and to be transforming in this lost world. Bless our people. Protect them in every way and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you, church.